Welcome to another episode of the Bleeding Edge podcast. I'm your host, Ralph Banker, and on the show today, we've got Karina Towers, and we'll be talking about the bleeding edge of training delivery and how the industry is changing to embrace a virtual delivery model. Karina, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ralph. Now, Karina, you're kind of um, hot off the press, so to speak, because you've been leading a number of engagements, uh, building virtual delivery capability with, uh, with clients. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. But as way of introduction, your background is very much in leadership and strategy. Um, you've obviously focused heavily on leading training engagements for First Friday, and you specialize in building high-performing sales teams in retail and more recently life sciences and property development. Your clients include retailers such as Tesco, Polo, Ralph Lauren, and you've also recently been working with uh, certainly one of the biggest home, home builders in the UK. And uh, your focus is now very suddenly on building virtual training capability. So, um, you know, with that background, it's going to be an interesting conversation just hearing what you, uh, what you think has changed. Because I think back in the day, and I'm kind of talking three months back, uh, clients would presumably be asking you to come in and do some training and you'd be arranging a bunch of delegates getting together to deliver a uh, classroom-based session. And now all of that has gone and everything has moved virtual. Yes. <laughs> and I guess, um, I suppose, Ralph, over my career in retail, when I was responsible for uh, an L&D team and training delivery, and my subsequent time with First Friday, a lot of what we do and have always done and, and done well is um, not only develop and deliver training, but upskill their own people to be able to develop um, and deliver internally. And with, uh, you know, since we went into lockdown and since the world changed with coronavirus and everybody working virtually, what's been really interesting for me is there is still a need to train people. And in actual fact, with um, the furlough scheme, uh, we, people could train uh, during furlough. And that's one thing that you could do with your employees. So people have been more keen to pick up virtual training. And I've been working in the last few months um, very intensely on how do you upskill your internal teams to deliver virtually? What are the considerations when you look at virtual training how is it the same as face-to-face -face, or where is it the same? And also, where are the differences? And something I guess I've, um, my overriding thought through much of this is whilst we, I think we've all surprised ourselves at how many people have adapted to working virtually because we've, we've had no option. And many people have been forced to make that change and been quite surprised at how well they've made it. Um, there are a lot of considerations when you're training virtually uh, that there are some positives um, and there are some drawbacks with virtual delivery. So it really is about not just rushing forward thinking, hey, we can do this. This is easy. We've just made this transition. Look how great we were. We can, we've got this wrapped. But actually pulling back and really thinking long and hard about how is it different uh, what do you need to factor in and how can you create the best virtual training environment for your learner and how can you make training effective um, and more efficient and enjoyable and easy for your training deliverer as well. So there's, there's a lot to it that I've been quite pleased to get my uh, teeth into over the last few months. <laughs> Well, it's a big shift because all of those things are challenging in a classroom environment. Um, obviously, we're talking about, you know, the, the types of projects that you're typically supporting are rolling out large changes, large changes across organizations. So typically systems involved, processes are changing, people's jobs are changing. And so you're communicating quite a complex set of information out to these people and then after that, expecting them to work differently, to behave differently, and to execute their day-to-day -day activities differently. So it's quite a big deal to get it right. And uh, what I understand is really the industry 
didn't think that it was feasible to do all of this virtually in the, in the past. Communicating complex change is, has always been felt to be best done in person in a classroom environment. And so uh, certainly in the experience that I've had with corporates, it's quite common to see people coming around, um, you know, with point of sale training especially, but also with head office systems and the like. Uh, you do bring people together. Now, that model is gone. And I guess the question is, if we didn't think it was possible before, do we think it's possible now? <laughs> Good question. It is possible. And I suppose if, if you think about what, what works well within a face-to-face -face environment for a complex subject, it's, it's the ability to uh, obviously communicate in a, in a you know, in close proximity. It's the, the ability to think through with your peers, to chat, to discuss, uh, and to work through and problem solve. And much of what we do in any training is ultimately learning and problem solving and assimilating that learning. And you can still do that in a virtual environment. It does pose different challenges. It, it's kind of thinking through what you want to achieve and then determining so there's a number of considerations. Which platform, which tool are you going to use? What features does that tool have? And how can you make the most of those features? And when you think about that, you've really got to consider these two aspects now, probably more so than you would in a face-to-face -face environment. Um, you've got to consider your end user. What are they getting when they're sat at home, potentially, with the distractions that their home environment uh, is giving them sometimes that work maybe wouldn't give them or a classroom wouldn't give them. Um, how can you keep them interested, engaged, switched on and involved? And that's much more, um, more challenging in a virtual environment, but it's still possible. And then for your trainer, they've got to achieve that with their, their delegates uh, given that they can't necessarily see them, given that they don't feel quite so in control now because they can't see everybody in that face-to-face -face environment, and given that they've got a level of complexity around managing their tool and potentially a system to show and potentially a PowerPoint. Uh, so they've got a number of components uh, on a technical side to manage and host and keep control of. So there are, you, you can achieve these things. You can still do whiteboards for gathering ideas and brain, brainstorming. You can still do breakout rooms. You can use chat functions um, in different ways. You can uh, bring in things that do engage people at the moment. So the use of emojis, the use of kind of awards and badges. You can think about how you create polls and quizzes and questions. There's lots of different things you can do, but it does mean that your design and build is different and then how you consider the delivery is different. So that's what I've, what I've found with the, the, um, the client work I've got involved in more recently and you're really thinking about how do you create a visual impact with this training? How do you consider the verbal elements? And how do you still bring in some of the written elements with things like the chat um, and different kind of uh, tools to, to still create the right impact and get the learning across um, and keep everybody interested and engaged? Well, that sounds like an enormous amount has changed. So it might be easier for me to ask, you know, what, what, what hasn't changed? What's actually stayed the same? What's that? That's a really good question. I tell you what has stayed the same is we're still people that want to connect with other people, even though we're virtual now. We still want to see other people. Um, and we still want to, uh, I guess, whether it banter is, the, is maybe not the right word, but we still want to feel that we are together in something and we're part of something. And actually, there is some really interesting research um, that came, uh, it, it's, it's fairly old now, but Max uh, Ringelman was an architectural engineer and he did a, a, a sort of study, I suppose, to see 
how people exert their effort and their energy when they are working individually versus when they're working in a team. And I think this does correlate when you're thinking about a virtual delivery. If we walk into a classroom and we're invited for a day's training, whether it's leadership, whether it's systems training, whether it's health and safety, we instantly feel part of that room and part of that day. And we all know that some people are more uh, participative and some people are less and we all have different learning styles and we recognize that. But we're all part of that room, that experience, and we're all co-located for that event. When you're in a virtual format, you don't feel that way. You feel very much on your own behind your screen with a number of other people um, facing you from their screens. And what Ringelman uh, was able to assess, he wanted people to, uh, he wanted to test how much energy and effort people put in, in a team versus individually. When he asked them to pull on a rope, they exerted far much, much more energy and effort pulling on a rope individually than when they were part of a team. And how that research now or those findings now are being um, translated into a virtual world, when we're training virtually, the bigger the group, the less involved we feel and the less critical we feel to the success of the group and the day and the session. So I kind of call it hiding in the shadows. The bigger you have these training sessions, the more people can hide in the shadows. They can turn the camera off, they can put themselves on mute, and they feel much less part of this event. So what we're working with trainers to do is to do what you would do in a face-to-face -face environment. Bring them in, involve them. Uh, don't class them as a group in totality because you'll only ever get you know, a few group members that want to, to give and participate. So I've been working with uh, people delivering virtual training to think about how do you bring individuals into sessions so we all feel part of it. And I think that that's the important part is you've still got a session that needs and wants everybody involved and interested and contributing. So that's the bit that we, we still want to get right. And particularly, if you can make that more conversational, you can bring in some humor, you can, you can get to know people a little bit. One of the things I do when I'm kicking off my virtual sessions is when people introduce, I ask them to share something, tell us something that they can see from where they're sitting that the rest of us can't see. Um, and that gives you a sense of their environment. So even this week, I've had a couple of guys saying, well, actually, I live halfway up a mountain and I can see the Alps. I can see uh, the Matterhorn. I can see something else. And then you suddenly feel as if you know that person a bit more. You know where they're sitting. You know what they're, you can imagine their view. So, so making those connections between people, I would say, is the bit that doesn't change. You still need that. It's still important. You've just got to work out how to do it. Well, the fascinating part of this really is the aspect of group design. So designing for optimum participation that really allows the trainer to exercise control, to feel confident, to be able to manage the room, manage their engagement. That was quite a list that uh, you, you, you set out. But I think interaction, engagement, um, being involved, switched on. I think these are all things that are important for learning to happen. And so if people aren't paying attention, then of course you're wasting your time. But uh, it's quite a different skill in a virtual environment. And so what you're highlighting is a big impact on the trainer and their skills. Yeah. And, um, and I think the, the other thing is there's a real tendency to say, well, let's just get all 200 people on that on that training, we just do it once, we'll record it, it'll be fine, they can watch it afterwards if they miss it. But Ralph, that's not training, that's presenting, and this is what I'm so keen for people to understand, is that if you want to tell somebody something in a, in a TED talk format, then go ahead, have a Zoom or a Teams meeting that has 250 delegates, 250 attendees, but they won't be learning, they won't be assimilating, they won't be 
taking things in and beginning to kind of correlate them and practice. So those big mass information one-way sessions are really good, effective, um, and efficient if you're passing very simple pieces of information one way and you're not really expecting anything back. In any training session, that's not what we want to do. We want to connect with a learner. We want them to take something from us. We want them to practice it, assimilate it, work it through, and begin to lock it down to, to mean something for them. So you really do have to have smaller groups that you can connect with that can connect with each other if you want to deliver effective training. And the more complex that the topic or the system that you want to get across, the more attention and um, consideration you've got to put into A, the design of it and the exercises and and any components, uh, sections and sessions, and also the delivery of it. Because both of those factors now play a big, big part in getting it right and and getting it to hit the mark. Um, and some of the training I did this week, actually, I've done sessions this week where they've been split into a morning and an afternoon. So session one, we take a, a really decent break, uh, a lunch break that's that's extended, and then session two. And at the end of session two, actually, they'd spent five, just over five hours on a team's call with me. And a number of them at the end had said, This morning, I was sitting here dreading having to be on a Teams call for five hours today um, and not really knowing, you know, what on earth was going to, what on earth could could take this long to get across around what you're asking us to do. But now I completely appreciate, um, you know, what you've taken us through today, how you've taken us through it, and how you've given us different opportunities to, to take what you've taught us and work with it. So it was really gratifying for me that the effort we put into the design and the delivery, you know, was really felt at the the receiving end. So these are people that are doing operational roles that you're now teaching how to do virtual training. Yes. (laughs) Yes. So we're teaching them different things. We're teaching them, um, we're teaching them, how to use the platform that is the chosen platform for their their particular um, program. So this one was Microsoft Teams. Um, And they were all saying that they would have appreciated this training before lockdown when everyone started to um, use Teams. So the features, the functions in Teams and Zoom and other platforms are available. How do you get the most out of those features? What do you do with them in a delivery context um then thinking about how you ask questions because how you ask questions in a face-to-face environment you know we all know about open questions closed questions probing questions different types of training questions but there's another layer of consideration when it's virtual so I've been getting them to think about uh how you link everybody into a question How do you tag questions where everybody contributes to the answer? How do you um, use questions to reinforce knowledge? How do you use questions that drive competitiveness where you wouldn't necessarily have to build some of those things in if you were in a face-to-face environment? So how do you ask questions verbally, visually, and in a written way? Um, Then, of course, you've got your sort of tried and tested hints and tips Uh, in terms of preparation. I mean, it it sounds really obvious, but how you prepare for the session is really key Uh, and getting yourself in the most comfortable, confident of positions to deliver. And then managing challenges is a huge thing. Um, Connectivity by far is one of the biggest challenges with virtual training, no matter necessarily which platform. Um, But we all find that connectivity is not as reliable as it as it um, could be sometimes so getting people to think about what are the likely challenges you'll face and then how will you overcome those 
And how will you uh, deal with those in such a way that it doesn't throw you off course, that it doesn't distract from anything else you're trying to do? So that's been kind of the core of how we have approached upskilling these um, internal um, operators and people whose day job isn't training. Um, and of course, with, with the work that we've done as well, we've been able to introduce them to how we write materials and how we've structured materials that support their program, that support a strong delivery. So they've all found it interesting, beneficial, useful, um, and much of it way beyond a training context as well. So, you know, I've already had feedback that they're using some of these things with their client meetings, virtual well, meetings. Well, this is where I was really going to take it next because as you've been talking, what strikes me is effective training in, uh, in this virtual environment is about effective preparation and professionalism in terms of what it is that you're trying to achieve with your time. In training, it just so happens that you've typically got a lot of pre-prepared content that's got to be communicated in a very specific time period and people then have to have some time to exercise uh, what they've learned. And normally, you know, if you're talking like a, a CRM system, which um, is, is quite typical uh, for the for for the kind of projects that you're talking about, uh, where you're training these folks, it's um, uh, well, I just lost my train of thought there. Now um, that's not supposed to happen to me. It's only supposed to happen to you, Karina. Um, but really, if you kind of think about, you know, the about it moving beyond training, well, about the, it. the communication, you know, and, and it's about being prepared, and so. Um, and it's about being doing all of this in a digital environment. So the the, the really exciting features, I think that um, that that are just I, I think can superpower the meetings and can superpower our yes. effectiveness in the virtual environment are things like the breakout rooms, the chats, the whiteboard, uh, awards badges. Mm, interesting. I think that's fascinating how we start to see competition really driving performance I want to talk to you about that because I think you've observed some behavior there and then of course polls and, and quizzes and so to my mind you know if you want to take a 200 uh, man group you know uh, 200 delegates and you, you're taking them through some training you can still do that but then you have to be able to have 20 breakout rooms and get them down into those groups of five where they can actually do that teamwork do that team thinking, do that team problem solving. And maybe what you even then need to do is actually have the uh, facilitation from uh, you know, somebody such as yourself present. So those big, large training delivery um, you know, programs, it's possible at scale. But of course, it's also good if you have five to 10 delegates per day and you're taking them through a five-hour program. Presumably, you're not doing more than one of these a day. Uh, yeah, no more than one cohort a day. Um, so we, we took a very deliberate decision to uh, work with our most recent client on this with a small manageable number. And that has been so um, that has proved to be the right approach because these guys have got an important job to do. And I need to make sure that they have not only listened, but I, I need a confidence through working with them individually within these groups that they've picked things up and they are confident and we've been able to give them practice opportunities we've given them pre-work we've given them post learning to do we've given them activities to do and, and reading so um yeah it, very much with the with the guys that have got a very specific job to do virtually um if you're upskilling trainers it is important to get that level of of uh, almost, you know, more intimate connection than a, than a mass group. But I agree with, with your with your bigger groups, you can work those groups and you can get those groups in the in the smaller discussions. I think it's it's really just trying to it's trying to really project the same as you would with with face to face. And some of this isn't that different. What do you want people leaving at the end of that session being able to do? So not only what do they know, but what do they do with what they know and what should 
they do with what they know. Um, so, and as you said, communication is key. It, it, it is all still communication and we're educating through how we communicate. We've just got some different methods of communication now and different considerations. Yeah, and not to really, uh, I think, maybe oversimplify the process of training delivery, uh, but I think what it boils down to certainly is the effectiveness of that communication. And what I, I like about uh, the skills that you're training out to these folks, you know, that are able to use it in their operational activities, I'm just thinking about how I might run my next meeting with a breakout session and having a quiz and a poll because it's a fascinating way of actually engaging with, uh, with, with people that um, you're trying to get a viewpoint from. And, um, but I hear breakout sessions can be a little bit dangerous. Uh, you know, <laughs> what's your experience been? My experience, so different tools have different, um, uh, different levels of, I suppose, simplicity versus complexity in terms of how you break out. Um, <laughs> I have to say Zoom is probably the easiest by far because you can very quickly and easily in Zoom create uh, spontaneous breakouts. It's a little bit less uh, straightforward in Microsoft Teams, for instance. However, it can still be done. Um, so I've had a few, uh, a few, <laughs> a few lost people wandering around the breakout rooms. But even that, I guess the thing is, because um, we are all working virtually now, and we are recognising that it, it's wearing us out in a different way. We're not worn out from commuting anymore. We're not. We're not, uh, you know, arriving home at seven, eight o'clock from, you know, battling the London Underground, whatever it is. But we are getting fatigued by the number of video calls that we're on. And the, the very nature of a video call is still quite um, unfamiliar to us in a real sense. It's, we're familiar in the last few months, but we're not all that familiar with doing our entire social life and work life in this way. So we we're recognizing that people are getting a little bit, you know, zoomed out. They call it zoom fatigue. Um, and we're trying to pick that up with people so that they do get some opportunity to take what we want them to do and actually think about it offline and bring it back online, which is why our sessions would, we would never take a day's worth of face-to-face -face training and simply convert it into a, you know, a day's worth of virtual training that's back-to-back. -back. We would break it up. We would add some points of difference in. We would get them working off-screen and bring things back on screen. And even if that means that they, they then have some, uh, you know, independent breakout sessions and bring those back into a, a main group, I think that's, that's kind of really important to, to factor in. But yes, it's quite true to say that I've lost a couple of people this week in breakout rooms, but I did then find them and thankfully it wasn't too long that they were lost. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really like the idea of being zoomed, zoomed out and, and, and maybe it's teamed off. So. <laughs> yeah. could well be. <laughs> so Karina, uh, there's a lot of complexity here because of all the moving parts and uh, I just want to unpack a little bit of that because I think it will really give, uh, well, just create a mental model maybe of, of, of what all the components are, the building blocks, if you like, to a successful virtual campaign. So, uh, so typically with these things, there's some type of, uh, of, of learning repository, let's say a, um, uh, a web-based system like a learning management system. Uh, some of the newer ones are, of course, called learning experience platforms and the like, but effectively there's some way to put training material to take your, your trainers through. And then uh, just talk us through, you know, what, what some of the content that, that, you, that you created there. And then what I'd like to do is just kind of talk through uh, the platform. So just look at some of the options that you were talking about, Zoom and, and Teams, but really just uh, tie that into the, um, the, the, the learning repository. And then, uh, and then I just wanted to also finish with uh, some of your points around connectivity. And I think you also mentioned hardware. So it seems to me that those are really the kind of the key 
building blocks, if you like, in addition to the capability of the trainer. So there's the um, the training repository of materials. There's yeah. the communication platform, uh, and uh, uh, I can't even read my own handwriting what I've written here now. The hardware and the capability. Yeah. So let let. Um, so one thing that has really worked well for us with what we've what we're talking about now is um, having a learner experience platform where we were able to host all of the material that we needed to uh, give to our trainees for them to view beforehand, for them to complete some pre-session activities. We made those quite varied. They had to record some video. They had to do some research. They had to do some reading. And the great thing about using a learner experience platform as we've been able to do, which, which I know is, is, is our own platform, um, was we were able to create some competitiveness in doing so. So uh, the content that we've placed there um, is gamified content. So when you access the content, you earn points. The points put you on the leaderboard. And the more social you are in using that learning and also taking an interest in other people's learning, um, again, the more points you get. Now, I know gamification is not necessarily for everybody, but you would be staggered at how quickly um, people were completing the activities that we, we needed them to complete because they could get a sense of competitive, healthy competition against their peers and uh, competition. And it really, it kind of put a, a huge smile on my face that I'd got people contacting me before and after the sessions saying, you know, how can I earn more points? <laughs> can you give me anything else to learn? Is there something else I can read? Um, which was wonderful. So we used that platform to host everything, uh, pre-work, training session content, and post-work. And that really has made a massive difference to how, in, how engaged people have been uh, and how, how much effort they've put into the, the pre- and the post-work and the course itself. So that, I think, has made a, a big, big difference. And they're able to find everything easily. It's segregated, it's categorized, it's easy to access, easy to uh, upload, to find, to, to talk about. So those social and gamified elements of the learning have made a huge difference. Um, in terms of the equipment, so again, you know, this, this kind of sounds fairly obvious, but it isn't what people were necessarily realizing they had to do. It is about considering um, how well equipped you are from home. So certainly if you are delivering virtual training on a frequent basis, you know, a real consideration is having uh, two screens. So whether that's a, a kind of monitor or a smart TV hooked up along with your uh, laptop or PC. Because in many cases, you're having to manage the virtual call itself and the delegates on the call. You're managing some type of system that you might be showing people uh, or certainly different windows or kind of uh, web browsers. You're also often managing a PowerPoint and you're often managing, you know, your own guide notes um, that are helping you deliver the session. So thinking about how you prepare your environment and prepare those materials and that equipment is, is really key. Um, and the other thing that we have really got people thinking about and just trying to understand is, um, and you talked about connection. So we can't always rely on great connection. There are different factors that affect that, but we've been able to help people just make some very, um, basic checks really you know it, it, it's things like uh whatever main device you're using to present on uh is pausing any synchronization that would ordinarily happen it's making sure that you're not running anything that's taking up any processing power any additional processing power uh it's making sure that your updates are fully completed 
there's lots of small um, hints and tips that will help you make the most of the connection you've got and certainly not be um, either sucking processing power or affecting your bandwidth as you deliver. And many of the, of the guys that we've worked with on this haven't necessarily considered those things. Um, so once they have, then they're in a, a much stronger position to be able to make the most of, of their connectivity. So that's probably what I would, would say on that, that really it's, you know, thinking about how your material, I suppose if, if you said that you've got some essential components of any successful virtual training delivery, it would be the material you're using and how you use it. It would be how you schedule those sessions and make sure that people understand what they need to turn up with, uh, having thought about, having done. Um, and with your scheduling, you know, maybe presetting some of those breakout rooms if that's a prerequisite. It's also the, the technical stability, how stable is the um, connection that you are using and the platform that you're using and your end users as well. And it's the interaction that you're going to create um, with the design of the session that you're running. So those are probably the, the four things I would say are important. Interaction, technical stability, scheduling people to invite them to turn up, and the material that you're using and how you use it. Fantastic. Well, I think that's a great hit list. So if we look forward now uh, in terms of the, you know, what the future of, of this kind of uh, approach really holds for training, uh, what I find is interesting is so many companies are coming out and saying, actually, you don't have to go back to the office. Uh, or don't worry, you know, we're, we're, we're going to just go all virtual. And th I think from a cost point of view, there's some big considerations that uh, will, will probably force us down that line. For some, it will be safety related. Uh, for others, it's just this is going to be a new way of working. And perhaps some of the skills that you're setting out and pioneering here in this way uh, actually enable us to become truly proficient in this new world. I'm not quite sure I like it, Karina, but uh, it does rather seem like, you know, there's a lot of capability there. There's a lot to learn. And if we do it, then we can be very effective. But where, where do you see all of this going? If we are really going to be, you know, working with uh, virtual teams for an extended period of time, then uh, is classroom training history? Is that just a luxury that we, you know, will never see again in a corporate setting? I don't, I don't think so, Ralph. I suppose as you've been saying that, something's popped into my mind. If, if you'd got a, uh, a kind of three-element model, and it just so happens I've just written down three Cs here, but you've got a cost element because you just mentioned that, of course, cost is a, is a huge um, uh, uh, positive in terms of virtual delivery. It's, it's a much reduced cost. You've got a consistency element so with virtual delivery, you can uh, achieve a, a greater level of consistency because you can use many different formats in your delivery. You can actually pre-record some of what you're going to, uh, to train people on. You can pre-record short demonstrations and you know that you're able to get a greater level of, of potential consistency. So another tick in the box there. But the, the, I suppose the big the drawback is the level of connection. So the connection you have with your attendees and the connection they have with each other, the connection they have with you and the connection they have with the content. So that is where I think if we're going to move more virtual, we've got to focus on how do we get that connection to replicate what you can have in real life. Um, and I think there are many things that the platforms themselves will help you know, the, the platforms are changing daily. They're almost loading new features and functions daily. But for, for me, it's about blending those three things and really sort of working out with whatever it is you want to get across in your training, which of those is, you know, how would you rank those components in their importance? And then that should really determine how you look at that, that training. Um, and it may be that, you know, if, if we do still look at virtual, 
that we find a way to strengthen that connection that maybe comes before that session. The session slots in in the middle somewhere with, with the content and the consistency. And then there's a, there's a pickup section afterwards where you kind of try and strengthen those connections. So I, I'd be looking at how you strengthen that, that connection um, across those three components because that's the bit that I recognize for a trainer. The trainers aren't feeling the connection and the delegates aren't feeling the connection to the same level they would if they were in the same room. So that's where I'll be focusing my attention in the future. It, it takes a lot, of, that connection. a lot of work to create the connection. And uh, I, I think um, if I think back to some of the points that Christopher Ireland made, uh, she is uh, lecturing the leadership development program online for Stanford and uh, has been doing so for the last four years. And one of the things that Christopher said, uh, and I know it's a strange name for a, for a lady, but she's a, she, she's a lady indeed. And uh, she talks about really having to almost amplify some of your personality so that you can actually connect. And she's teaching classes of students of over you know, 200 uh, participants and uh, those courses run for eight weeks and they and every 10 weeks a new course starts, a new intake starts. Um, and so there's just, you know, an, an awful lot that she's internalized over the years about how you very quickly make a connection with people. And uh, I, I think down to the way that uh, you, you dress, down to the way that you actually present yourself in front of the, uh, the camera because you, you are almost a form of entertainment as a trainer as well. You know, we're actually all in front of the camera for more, more time than we ever imagined really. So, um, so that's a fascinating piece really about connect, connection because it is a very personal thing about those people that are actually on, on the call. They have to make it. You, you can't uh, engineer it, but you can train for it and you can prepare yeah. for it. Yeah, definitely. And that, that's where I found the, the, the learner experience platform in terms of um, working with trainees, delegates before and after strengthens that connection. So, you know, just being able to go on to a, uh, a platform and see the videos they've uploaded and comment on those beforehand and uh, introduce myself and post my own introductory video um, that's a really powerful way to begin to create the connection. So when you walk into the virtual classroom, you already feel as if you've met, you already feel as if you know these names, people are somewhat familiar, and then bringing in those connections as we go. So, you know, one of the things that we did in our courses <laughs> in this last week um, or more was whilst we know what we're, what we're training uh, we also bought some polls and some quizzes in around football or around sport or around what people had for lunch. And then suddenly you create some humor and some, uh, you know, people are bonding over something. And then someone teaches someone else about the dish that they had for lunch, which is a, a, a traditional uh, Italian dish that, you know, a few people have never heard of. And that's exactly what you get in a face-to-face -face environment that, is missing virtually or could be missing virtually unless you make an effort to, to put it there and to give it, give it space to come out. So I've been really conscious that um, I need to get, I want to get to know people. I want them to uh, share a bit of themselves and bring that out. Uh, and, and we've built that into the sessions because it's a really important part of, of, of human you know, human connection, human communication. So that, that's something that I think is really, really important. So what did you have for lunch? <laughs> I didn't get time for any lunch today. <laughs> she says. <laughs> but, you know, on one of these sessions, Ralph, that I did um, just this week, what was really surprising was how many people had a cheese sandwich and then that sparked a conversation about cheese sandwiches that suddenly everybody's on camera, everybody's having a bit of a smile. And, it, and then for a moment, you forget that you're not together. And that was suddenly we've got something in common. We're all over the world, but cheese sandwiches popped up for lunch just about everywhere. 
And then people are saying, ah, me too, me too. So that was just like being in the same room, that regular conversation banter that we're all so used to. But it's such an important part of bringing them together in that virtual space as well. Now I have to ask, you, you've been delivering this, uh, this virtual training capability program uh, with delegates across, as you said, across the world, but, but mainly Europe. What, from a cultural point of view, do you, do you see any trademarks in the different cultures that make certain uh, European countries better at translating into this virtual environment and others uh, maybe not, uh, not as well suited to it because, because of a cultural dynamic? That's a question, Ralph. Uh, yes, there are definitely cultural differences. And, and, you know, trainers that do work with international groups are tend to, to recognise these in a, in a face-to-face environment. I guess many of those cultural norms still, still are visible and apparent in a, in a virtual environment. I think for a trainer, it means that sometimes there are certain nationalities or cohorts in various countries that uh, require a bit more effort and a little bit more of your energy. Um, and there are some that, are, that respond really well and some that, you know, maybe are a little bit quieter and subdued. Um, so that is, again, where, you know, if, if, you, if you understand how to create a connection you can determine uh, what you do with those groups to, to bring them in. So there is a little, you know, there are, there are groups I've had that have been more laid back, that have been, uh, and the day of the week makes a difference. It really does. You know, if you're training on a Friday versus a Monday, much as, as you would in a face-to-face environment, people tend to be in a better mood on a Friday and they're a little bit... Um, more gung-ho because they're looking forward to their weekend so yeah a lot of this is is what exactly what we see in face-to-face it is just very much about how you work with your individual group how you read your responses um, and the work that you need to do to to bring them in so even for the groups I've had that may be culturally a little bit more serious uh, maybe a little uh, quieter I've still been able to bring them in. I've still been able to get them involved and engaged, but just in a way that, that really suits their culture is what I would say. You've got to be respectful of uh, the cultural differences and just recognise how to work with those differences um, and still get people involved and engaged. Yeah, and then really this is all part of the, uh, the skill of being a trainer. At the end of the day, you need to get the context right and get the mood right read the room and uh and that's why uh it's not a straightforward thing to to get right so we're, we're kind of coming up to the end of our show uh karina and uh, it's tradition for me to ask a couple of questions but uh what i really want to know uh these are just quick fire questions by the way just a couple of them uh what's your favorite zoom feature <laughs> My favorite Zoom feature is by far and away the breakout, <laughs> the ability to break out spontaneously in Zoom um, and to mix up those breakout groups really easily and flick between them really easily. So I would give top marks to Zoom for having thought about how quick and efficient. So that's my favorite Zoom feature. You've uh, you clearly got a knack in uh, innovating and dealing with complex problems. What's your superpower? <laughs> my superpower. Actually, I was told my superpower by somebody this week, so I will share that with you. I was told that my um, inner child, which is quite mischievous and playful, um, uh, and likes to create fun uh, within the confines of whatever we are doing is one of my superpowers. So I think that's what I like to bring to things. It's, it, I guess it's my, my take on how to use humour in and in connecting with people. So I would say, yeah, it's, it's my 
um, my humour and how I use that in different situations. You're going to well, tell me now you don't think I'm funny, Ralph. Well, well I'm, what I was going to say is we've actually shared a few laughs. So. <laughs> so I wouldn't be able to say that with a straight face, to be honest. But no, I think humour is part of a life lived well, so I couldn't agree more. Uh, but really, that brings us to the end of the show. So all that's left to say is, Karina, thank you so much. It's been absolutely fascinating listening to you on uh, talk about the, the bleeding edge of virtual training. Um, if people want to get hold of you, uh, I will uh, drop your LinkedIn details and uh, other contact details on, uh, on the show notes. Um, what are the kind of things you, you, you typically uh, welcome people reaching out to you for? Uh, really, um, I guess... <laughs> I suppose it's my uh, experience and expertise in um, certainly in equipping internal um, resources in how they might deliver training, design, create, whatever it is. Um, and also one of the things that I, you know, I really do enjoy doing is coming up with uh, innovative ways to make uh, complex elements of training uh, more uh, enjoyable and get them across in a, in a more simplistic way. So I really enjoy taking complex things and making them very simple and relatable is the thing I think for other brands and businesses, whether it's messaging or communications or, or training or whatever it is. So I would, I would welcome that. Well, I think you're right on the money. The World Economic Forum has published uh, the top 10 skills to have in 2020 and uh, solving complex problems uh, and making the world a slightly simpler place is uh, certainly at the top of that list. So, Karina, thank you very much. Um, I've been uh, fascinated to hear about the progress that you've made in such a short time. It seems such a promising uh, Endeavour, I, uh, I, I hope you spend more time doing it because you're, uh, you're, you're clearly very talented. Um, so with that, uh, this has been The Bleeding Edge. I'm your host, Ralph Banker. We'll see you on The Edge. Thanks, Ralph. Bye.